Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. 2020 will certainly be a year to remember. Of course, there's this crazy global pandemic. There's the resurfacing of racial inequality. There's economic uncertainty. And I hate to remind you of this, but people are about ready to lose their minds because it's also an election here this year. It's a difficult season. It's a difficult time. And I have found that in these times of uncertainty, when we can say that people are crazy and times are strange, it's in times like this that we need a new hope. Because when when things are unsettled, when things are not normal, we typically want some kind of change. Isn't that true? When things are not in a norm, we want some kind of change. We want something new. And what I think that we need in this cultural moment is a new hope. I don't think so much that we need a new car or a new job or a new spouse or a new church or even a new country. I think what we need here in this moment is a new hope. And hope is one of those themes that are sprinkled all throughout the scripture, but there's not a place where hope is more concentrated than in Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, talking about the book of Romans. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I'll encourage you to go there. If you have a Bible, you can go to, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. If you have a Bible app, you can open that up. And if you're watching online, you know what? You figured out how to watch this online. You can find the scriptures online. And, uh, but let's go and spend some time for just a moment in Romans chapter 5. And again, I'm not opposed to Bible apps if you got one. But for me, I'm still old school. I like, I like a book. I like something in my hand. So Romans chapter 5, let's give some attention to the scriptures that are there. Let's start in verse 1, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Hope, as you know, is one of the big, one of the God-shaped virtues of the Christian life. Now remain these three, faith and hope and love. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13. Love might be the greatest, but hope is at the very center. And here in Romans chapter 5, Paul says that we have peace with God. 
Not that God was somehow opposed and hostile towards us, but that we were opposed to and hostile towards God. But this is the good news, that in and through Jesus Christ, we have peace and union with God. And so we have a boasting that we make. And the boasting that we make is a hope that we might share in the glory, in the majesty, in the beauty of God. And the hope that we have as followers of Jesus is certainly rooted in Jesus. It's something that we boast in, but we not only boast in hope, but here Paul says in Romans 5, we also boast in our sufferings. Suffering comes to all of us. And again, in this season, a number of us are experiencing a variety of suffering. And suffering comes to all of us. What sets followers of Jesus apart is that in our suffering, we still find hope. But, but notice the progression here that Paul makes from suffering to hope here in Romans 5. Paul says that it's suffering that produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And finally, character produces hope. So for us, hope is a, is a state of being. Hope is a virtue that flows out of character that comes from perseverance that's rooted deep down in suffering. Christian hope is not mere optimism, Though I'm a big fan and I think optimism is great. Optimism is that feeling that, you know, things are going to be okay. Optimism is a, is a positive mental attitude. It's a feeling that, you know, things are going to work out some way, somehow. And that's a good thing. I think it's, I think it's great. I, I'm an optimistic person by nature. So you know when I, when I, go, when I go cynical that I'm in a really dark place. Because by nature, it's just the way God's wired me. I'm an optimistic person. I think that's great. We like to be around positive, optimistic people. To just have a general feeling, you know, that things in the future are going to be okay. I think that's great. Except for you realists. You realists, those of you who are idealists or realists at heart, we annoy you to death. And I'm sorry about that. But we can't help it. We're optimistic people. But the new hope that we need, and, and indeed Christian hope, is not just a positive feeling. Christian hope is something different. Christian hope is a kind of confidence in God that God will make all things new. So when Christians, when followers of Jesus talk about hope, we're not talking about positivity in general. We're talking about a confidence in God that God will make all things new. And we find hope in that. We take hope in that, that God indeed will make all things new. Now, when psychologists talk about hope, they talk about agency and pathways. That for a person to, to experience hope, they need agency and pathways. Agency is, is power. It's, it's the ability or the motivation to reach a desired future. So agency that's embedded in hope is about power. It's about ability. Pathways that are also embedded in hope are about plans. It's about having a plan to reach that desired future. So at least according to one psychological theory, to have hope means that you have agency and a pathway. That means you have power, that is the ability to reach goals, and you also have the plans in order to reach those goals. 
plans and power, agency and pathways. An example of this would be those who who are crazy enough to have the desire to try to run a marathon or a half marathon. Uh, We are once again here at Word of Life Church partnering with Team World Vision to run the Kansas City Marathon Half Marathon. If there is going to be a marathon, we don't know. The Kansas City Marathon folks haven't told us. They're canceling marathons around the country. The good news, though, for those of us that are partnering with Team World Vision is Team World Vision is saying that if the Kansas City Marathon Half Marathon is canceled, that they're going to create some type of race day experience for those of us that are doing the World Vision thing. So I encourage you, if you're interested in joining us. We had dozens of people last year uh, join us in running with Team World Vision. We raised thousands of dollars for clean water in impoverished nations around the world through World Vision. And so if you want to get involved, I encourage you, uh, come find me after church or you can talk to Megan Taylor. We can get you more information about connecting with these crazy people who want to raise money for clean water and also run a half marathon or a full marathon. Now, If you are going to have hope to actually complete, a half marathon is 13.1 miles, a full marathon is 26.2, and I know you're thinking that's crazy, but if you want to have hope to fulfill that goal, to reach that goal, then you need power and you need a plan. You need agency and you need pathways. And the power, I'll tell you where the power is. The power is just the state of mind to stick to the plan. If you have the stick to of heart and mind, we can give you the pathway. We can give you the plan. But if you have the power, we can give you the plan. And if you got both of those together, then you can have hope in completing this thing. You can do it. Anybody can do it. You can do it. But this is not necessarily commercial about running marathons or Team World Vision. Again, I'm talking about hope. And for Christian hope, our hope is is intimately connected to faith. Faith, hope, and love. These virtues all work together. And for Christians, our hope, which has embedded in it both power and pathways, is connected to faith, to our faith in God. Because ultimately, we believe that God has the power and that God has the plan in order to get us to a better future. So in one way, we can think about our faith is like the soil in which hope springs forth and flowers in all of its beauty. Faith and hope work together. You can think about it like this, because faith and hope, while they're connected, are oriented in different directions. You can think about it like this. Faith is a present reality oriented towards the past what God has done, and hope is a present reality oriented towards the future, what God will do. So these two, th- two things are connected as present realities, but they're facing different directions. So for our faith, faith, you know, is, is trust. Faith is trust in God. Faith is, is pledging allegiance to King Jesus And trusting in God, believing in God, because God sent his son, Jesus, to show us the way. To show us what God is like. And Jesus, at the end of his life, 
takes upon himself all of our sin, all of your sin, all of my sin, all the big messed up systems of sin. Jesus is crucified and on the cross, Jesus takes our sin that he might take it away. Jesus goes into death, but God the Father will not leave his son in the grave. But three days later, God raises Jesus from the dead And Jesus then ascends to the right hand of the Father where he is ruling as King of kings and Lord of lords. And this story, the gospel story, is where we put our faith and our trust. It's rooted in historical events, what God did in the past. Jesus shows us and Jesus demonstrates that God is faithful. And because of that demonstration, we have faith today based in what God did in the past. And so it's true to say that hope then springs up from that. So our faith is oriented towards the past. We see what God has done in the past, particularly the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And we see God being faithful in the past. And now that turns our attention towards the future. And we trust in God that God will be faithful in future days to do what God said God's going to do. And while there's a lot that God's going to do in the future, I think that we can boil it down. Our future hope, our future expectation is all boiled down in trusting and believing that God can and that God will make all things new. That God both has the agency, the power to make all things new, and God also has the pathways, that is, God has the plans to make all things new. So no matter how bad things are today, we believe that God can make things new tomorrow. And this hope, we, we, we see this, this hope in God's future to make all things new played out at the very end of our story, at the very end of our Holy Scriptures in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1, John the Revelator reports, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this. For these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, this is the end of our story and it ends with hope. It ends not with us leaving the earth to go to heaven. Notice that this, these the great promises that, that, that death will be no more and no more crying and no more pain. This is not experienced in heaven, but this is experienced when heaven comes to earth. This is our great hope that in the future, God will make all things new. 
This is a future hope that is coming one day, but it is a future hope that has now broken into the present by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God will make all things new at the end, but for those of us who are in Christ, behold, all things are new. God is currently, right now, in the process, by the Spirit, through the church, making things new. So no matter how bad it looks today, if you are in Christ, you can have hope that God is making things new. Again, God has the power. God has the plan. You're asking me, how is it going to work out? How are things going to get new? We're continuing to see a growing number of cases of the coronavirus. It doesn't seem like racial inequality is going to get figured out. Some of you have lost employment, you've lost income, and you're asking, how is it going to work out? And I can't tell you how it's going to work out because I don't have the power or the plan, but I know the one who does. And the God revealed in Jesus Christ, who's being made known to us by the Holy Spirit, we can have hope in that God because that God has the power and that God has the plan. Friends, we need this kind of hope. We need to stir this new sense of hope among us so we don't drown in the waters of despair and cynicism. Because hope is a good thing. Indeed, I would say hope is necessary for human survival. And I say that without exaggeration. We need hope. And to be honest, hope feels good, doesn't it? Doesn't it for just a moment to imagine things being better and things being different? Doesn't that, doesn't that feel so much better than listening to the lies of despair? I think it feels good. I, I want to live in that place. I want to be in that place. Hope is good and it's necessary and it's feel, it feels good. But I'm up here to be honest with you today and to say that hope is not easy because hope requires us to be patient and to wait. And I hate waiting. Can I, can I tell you the truth? I, I hate waiting. Now, I am a more patient person today than I was 20 years ago. I'm more patient at 46 than I was at 26. I'm looking at the family for confirmation. They're staring at me. But I think I'm, I'm a more patient person today. I'm more patient. I'm a little bit more, a little bit more okay with waiting in general today than I was 20 years ago. But I, it doesn't come natural to me. I'm not naturally a patient person. I don't like waiting in lines. I don't like waiting in traffic, especially St. Joe traffic. When it takes me 12 minutes to get somewhere instead of five, that's it. I don't like waiting in traffic. I don't like waiting for my food in restaurants. Remember when we used to eat in restaurants? That was fun. I don't like waiting, but I've recognized that if we're going to lean into hope and if we're going to discover a new kind of hope, then we have to wait. Because again, we don't have the power. We don't have the plans. Both the agency and the pathways, that's all God's stuff. We put our hope in God who we believe has the power and the way. And so as followers of Jesus, we wait. And for our family, we have never had to wait. <laughs> We've never had a bigger test of hope than with our middle son, Taylor, who's with us today. 
He's 19 today, but Taylor, when he was two years old, I think we have a picture of two-year-old Taylor. When Taylor was two years old, look how how cute he was, is. Sorry, Bob. (laughs) So cute. When Taylor was two years old, he was diagnosed with autism. And for our family, learning, for Jenny and I in particular, learning to raise a child with autism has been a test and honestly a struggle of hope. When we got the diagnosis, well, to be honest, Jenny knew something was wrong. I was in complete denial, which is common for families with special needs kids. Moms have an instinct. God gives moms an instinct. They know something is wrong. And I just thought, well, it's just a phase or he'll get over this. But Taylor had begun uh, to grow verbally. He had words sort of normally. And then between 18 months and 24 months, he began to decrease the number of words that he had to the point that he hardly had any words. And so when we got him formally diagnosed, we began to understand why. Not only did he not not have words, often uh, children with autism, uh, they don't innately know how to use nonverbals. So he wouldn't even point. He couldn't say, I want a drink, and he couldn't point at the drink. And out of that frustration, he would just cry and scream. And it was tough. Because when we got that diagnosis for Jenny and I, we didn't know how things were going to end. We didn't know what the future looked like for Taylor. We didn't know how things were going to end. We didn't know, is he going to be able to go to school? Is he going to be able to start school on time? Is he going to be able to progress academically? Is he going to be able to learn? Will he ever graduate high school? These were all questions that we had as we were beginning his academic career. We didn't know how things were going to end. He continued to go through struggles and was nonverbal. It was up until age four before he really began to speak verbally and have words. And I remember that that very first year from age two to three, he spent a full year in speech therapy with our speech therapist in Georgia, Carla Henson. She was, Carlene, she was fantastic. But she spent one year with him Not to get him to say the word ball, but just to get him to motion that he wanted the ball for one year. It took one year just to get to that point. And so hope was a struggle for Jenny and I. I wish I could say that from the very beginning we had all this hope and we knew how everything was going to end. We didn't. We struggled in hope and we struggled through the pain of watching our son struggle. To have the intellectual capability to know what is happening, but not to have the verbal skills to express it. We had to endure the meltdowns, particularly the emotional meltdowns that would happen in public. We had to endure the stares of people. We had to endure the unsolicited advice from people who loved us and wanted to help but didn't understand. And by God's grace, he was able to start kindergarten on time and and begin to do elementary school in a co-op program where it was part special ed, part regular ed. And then we moved here when Taylor was in the fifth grade, we moved to St. Joe. And uh, I remember in particular how difficult middle school was. Now, those of you who have raised or are raising middle school kids, you know middle school is a crazy time anyway. Middle school is that weird transformation when that child that you once loved becomes an alien. 
They start talking weird and acting weird. And I mean, middle school is hard for any student, but it was particularly a difficult season for our family and for Taylor. And I remember lots of bad days, but there was in particular a bad day when Taylor was in the eighth grade and he was at Spring Garden Middle School. And I got a call from Dr. Laura Gilpin, who was the principal. She's still the principal there, a fantastic administrator. And she had called me to say that Taylor was refusing to do a simple task and that he had kicked over a trash can and now he was lying on the floor, not moving. And the the class had ended and students had moved out and he was just on the floor, not moving. This was one of the ways that he coped. He would just lay out on the floor, not moving. So I drove down to Spring Garden and I walked into the classroom and there I saw the trash can knocked over. I saw Taylor laying down and sitting next to Taylor was uh, his structured learning teacher, Corey Gilpin. Uh, He's now the activities director at Lafayette, but back in the day he worked special ed and he was a fantastic teacher. He got Taylor, he was patient, he was sitting there and he kind of explained to me what was going on and I was going to try to broker a deal to get Taylor up off the floor and the worst part, the worst moment was looking at Taylor's face and seeing a mixture of exhaustion. I mean, he was red-faced. He had been crying. The, the look of anger, the look of bewilderment made my heart sink. And that was just one moment. I was able to get him up and we, we got him home, but that was just, that was just one bad day of many bad days, of many days of setback and suspensions and calls from the school and failed IEP meetings and lots of tears. I I remember telling someone that during middle school, I'd never seen Jenny cry as often as during that season of our life. It was hard. It was difficult. I had thick, dark hair before those days. True story. It was hard. It was difficult. And so all we could do, because we didn't, we, we didn't have the power. We didn't have the plan. We had neither the agency nor the pathways. All we could do is put our hope in God and to put our trust in teachers and administrators and therapists and to hope in Taylor himself that one day he would mature and grow past those struggles so that he could reach the academic goals that we had set And so while it was a struggle, that's what we did. We had hope that God himself would be able to make all things new and turn these bad days into good days. And so if you fast forward four years later from middle school, there's Taylor John Vreeland walking across the stage at the Civic Arena, grabbing his diploma. And me and Jenny with all smiles and We actually have a picture of uh, Taylor and his high school para, Teresa, in front of Central High School. It was a great day of celebration. And if our hope was in God who had all the power, it was people like Teresa who were the pathways to get him to that point of graduation. Now, I tell that story as a moment of vulnerability for me So that you know when I say that what we need right now is a new hope, it's coming from a place of brokenness and hardship and suffering, a suffering that has produced perseverance within me, which has produced character, which is producing hope, a hope that I want you to experience today. So if hope is a present reality, if hope is something that we can experience today about the future, 
then how is it that we do experience it? I mean, how does that come about that we can experience real hope today? Well, let's go back to Romans chapter five, just one verse as we wrap things up. Romans five, verse five, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. In all of those bad days, in so many of the bad days that we had with Taylor, I can remember moments of God's graciousness when the love of God overwhelmed my despair and I began to feel hope again. How we feel and experience hope in the present is a work of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of God in us. So that God's love is not just a principle. God's love is not just a doctrine, but God's love is something that we experience and it's that love that produces hope within us. So we can put faith and hope and love together like this. Faith is a present reality oriented towards the past, what God has done. Hope is a present reality oriented towards the future, what God will do. And love is that present reality made known by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tends to take a back seat, and I think the Holy Spirit is okay with that. The Holy Spirit takes a back seat because Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. In other words, God the Father sent God the Son to show us what God the Father is like. And through the Son, God pours out the Holy Spirit, who then points us back to Jesus. But don't lose sight of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God's powerful and empowering presence with us. In other words, we can have hope for tomorrow because we know by the Holy Spirit that God is with us today. So what we do as followers of Jesus is we cultivate that hope. We cultivate that hope in lots of ways, but there is no one single better, most effective way in cultivating hope than what we're doing today, right now, and that is gathering together for worship. When we come together in worship to participate in these songs and prayers and scripture and communion and giving, when we're participating in this, we are putting ourselves in a place where God the Holy Spirit is at work and it's God the Holy Spirit who can blow the winds of new hope within us. And all of these elements of communion are necessary and good and valuable Communion, of course, is at the heart, and in a moment, we're going to do that. So make sure you have your communion elements ready, whether you're in the sanctuary or online. We're going to come and celebrate communion together. That's the heart of worship. But I don't want us to forget the value of the songs that we sing. Hope is encoded in the songs that we sing. Whether the word hope appears in the lyrics or not, there is something powerful there is something of the moving of the Holy Spirit that takes place when we are singing together. You can sing on your own, but there's something about a corporate gathering of singing together when we do so that hope begins to be renewed. And so here's what I want us to do as we conclude our time of worship today is I want us to come to the table 
I want us to come to the the bread and the cup and celebrate communion. And then after that, we're going to sing a song of worship together. And if you are home or you're, you're, you're watching online, I'm going to encourage you to go way out of your comfort zone. I want you to sing along with us. And if you're here in the sanctuary, I want you to sing out loud. We will put the words of the song up on the screen. And I want you, I want to encourage you to sing out loud. Because listen, the degree to which you experience the hope of God has everything to do with the amount of participation you do in the acts of worship. In other words, you're not going to have the same experience of hope just listening to the song. Now, listening to a song can provide a measure of hope. But the kind of new hope, the kind of Christian hope that I'm talking about, we experience that when we fully participate. And so there is a direct correlation between your experience of hope as the love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. There's a correlation to that participation with the hope that is to be experienced. So church, let's, before we sing the song, let's come to the table of the Lord. Let me encourage you to stand up with me. Grab your communion elements. And we're gonna pray our prayer of confession together. This is how we will prepare our hearts to come to the table. Praying this confession accomplishes two things. One, we are confessing our faith in Jesus. Remember, faith is the soil from which hope springs. We're confessing our faith in Jesus, but we're also confessing our sin, our fallenness. And in that confession, we're confessing that we're all the same here. That there is one Savior, His name is Jesus. And all of us, we're just people that need that saving work. We need that healing and that transforming work. And so church, we're going to confess our sin together. We're gonna eat the bread, drink the cup together, and then we're gonna sing. And I believe as we sing the song of worship this morning that hope will rise in you. But let's prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. Church, join me as we make this confession together. Most merciful God, We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here.